I'm not going to talk about Kyle Isbell because you pretty much forbade it. Um, well, I'm not the- me. I think the police have forbade. It. I think the I think the restraining <laughs> order says you're not allowed to talk about him in public. Welcome back, everyone, to Royals Weekly. I am still your host, Marcus Mead. This is still my brother and co-host, Mike. Hey, everybody. And we are still in spring training. I think we've hit that point where spring training starts to feel like your longest first date ever. We're all excited and everything. And now we're just desperately hoping someone calls with an emergency. Maybe their emergency, our emergency, doesn't really matter at this point. Like uh, This week, we'll do our traditional weekly review, shine a spotlight on the offensive newcomers, and uh, talk about the week ahead as the Royals ramp up at the start of the season, maybe play some more regulars more uh, frequently. But first, we want to take a second to thank those who have subscribed, rated, and reviewed so far. Uh, we heard from Ty Goes With, uh, who says we're now his new go-to for Royals Info and says he has some Maryville guests ideas. Uh, we're from Maryville, Missouri, for those who don't know, originally, Mike and Dos I. Uh, Dos Uh Also, a big thanks to uh, CM74159, who I assume is a Russian bot, but we'll see, <laughs> uh, who references Mike's close relationship with Tyree Kill. For those who don't know, Mike is Tyree Kill's best friend and mentor and personal trainer, I think. Right, Mike? Uh, I do coach with him, at least some at North high school. I don't know if I would go so far as to say we are best friends and I am his mentor and certainly not his personal trainer. Um, but he's a good dude. Yeah. Basically Mike taught him everything he knows, including his four, two speed, I think is, is what, what I'm hearing from that. Uh, anyways, thank you to those who have subscribed, rated and reviewed so far. It means a lot to us. It helps us uh, spread this community a little further. Now let's get to this week in Royals baseball. The Royals went two, three, and two this week. Uh, that's right. They had two ties. Welcome to the Cactus League. That brings them to 12, six, and two overall. Um, of course, the biggest news this week happened off the field when Chris Bubich was sent down to AAA. And my question is, uh, is this a roster move or is this a sign that Bubich isn't going to be the fifth starter as you and I have talked about in past episodes? There was a lot of speculation about that. I was a little bit confused on it to begin with um when, if, when the news was first announced i was like okay this means junis is going to be the fifth starter uh this is clearly like them saying they'd like to give bubich more time to develop which makes sense to me um it makes sense to me that he would uh, take a little bit more time to refine his command however after discussing it at length with uh, max reaper of royals review online a couple of days ago he sort of started started to turn me to the notion that maybe this is just a roster move um, it's really kind of complicated, and I don't want to dig into the weeds of sort of the roster rules as they exist. But basically, now might be an advantageous time to send Bubich down as a way of hedging against a pitcher getting injured or as a way of using his uh, one of the three options he has and letting him wait until they need a fifth starter. The Royals won't need a fifth starter for a couple weeks into the season. If they send him down now, they can bring him back up before opening day if a pitcher gets hurt. And if they don't bring him back up, they can burn one of his three options. And it's okay to burn one of his three because they never anticipate using all of his three anyway. At this point, Bubich is a pretty established member of the team. So he's not going to be up and down all the time, except this year he is going to be up and down some. There's just no avoiding it. The Royals are going to need so many pitchers to fill innings. They need to burn an option for somebody who has a bunch of them. Junis only has one left. A lot of the other guys they might use don't have any or only have one, like Zimmer only has one, guys like Brock don't have any and stuff like that. So I, my guess is at the very least, it's like 50-50, but I'm guessing this is like a roster move that says we're fine burning one of Bubish's options because he has so many. 
And do you think it also means that they try and keep Carlos Hernandez in the bullpen because he's got options too. They could have very easily sent him down as well. Um, I think he'll be, I think one of those options will be used this week, this year as well. Okay. Um, all right. That's interesting. I, uh, you know, I'm a Bubich guy. Uh, I would like to see him uh, go down there and work on that command. Like we talked about in episode one. Um, I thought the curveball command was maybe a little bit better, but the fast call, the fastball command just still isn't there. So, yeah. And we saw that with some of the pitch efficiency issues he's had already this oh, yeah. spring. It doesn't really look like he's taken a step forward since last year uh, yet. Now, getting more games, getting more time might help ultimately resolve that issue, but it look, it doesn't look necessarily like he's lost that fifth starter battle right now. And it was very interesting. Um, they specifically said, and I, I think it was Matheny specifically said in an interview um, that he's working on some mechanical things to get better command with the fastball. He specifically said that in an interview. So I'm like, well, heck, that's what we were talking about two weeks ago. Like that's the thing. He's got, and he specifically mentioned not being able to put hitters away as well. So I'm like, all right, then, then they're seeing this issue and maybe it isn't just a, well, we had to do roster maneuver stuff, but I could understand if it is. Maybe it isn't. And at this point, I don't know that it makes a great uh, bit of difference to distinguish between him and Junis as starters versus relievers. To me, Bubich doesn't have much value as a reliever. And so you, you make him a starter quote unquote, but there are going to be a lot of times when he only goes three innings and Junis comes in and essentially piggybacks him and gives you three or four innings on top of that. Right. So um, I'm not really drawing hard distinctions between those two at this point, just because I know it's going to be an unusual year innings wise. And they have a guy like Junis, another guy like Hernandez, who I'm guessing they're building up to be a multi-inning reliever for this year anyway, uh, as well. Um, and so I, I think there are going to be quite a few instances, even if Bubich ultimately lands the fifth starter role where, you know, he doesn't go more than three or four innings and somebody else comes in and carries it for another three or four. Um, so yeah, uh, Bubich sent down to AAA for now. He'll get his work in spring training still. And maybe we'll see him a couple weeks into the season as, as the fifth starter, or maybe he'll stay down there and Junis makes, keeps the fifth starter job. And another guy like Hernandez makes the bullpen or, Zimmer makes the bullpen or, or something like that. Um, neither would surprise me at this point. No. Um, on the field, though, this week, we saw some strong performances from a few. Mike's man crush, Kyle Isbell, uh, uh, Ryan McBroom. I know you want to talk about a couple of guys there. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to talk about Kyle Isbell because you pretty much forbade it. Um, well, I'm not the, me. I think the police have forbade. I think the I think the restraining <laughs> order says you're not allowed to talk about him in public okay, situations. Yeah. Uh, so. so I'm not going to talk about him. I'm just not going to talk about the fact that he hit a home run and and had another hit yesterday. Um, but yeah, so I want to talk about Ryan McBroom or Ryan McBoom as I'm calling him. Yeah, so original, stuff. so original. Yeah, I know somebody right? somebody trademark that. <laughs> um, Ryan McBroom has been interesting this spring and really his his entire career. Uh, and that he hits left-handed pitching. He, he can really hit lefties. Um, he is not going to walk a bunch. He's had a 6.5 walk rate uh, for his career, but that goes up slightly to 8.8 against uh, lefties. He also has a 200-point higher OPS versus lefties in his career. So my real question to you kind of is, and to the Royals um, fan base listening is, do you think there's, is there enough space on this roster to keep a Ryan McBroom or do you need that space for an extra pitcher? As you've said, there's going to be a lot of innings to fill. Or do you need it for some sort of other utility player if you don't feel like Hanser Alberto can fill the spots reliably that you need? I think that 
what's the point of having all these versatile players if you're if it's not going to give you the luxury of having somebody like Ryan McBroom on your bench, right? So the reason you have guys like Whit Merrifield, the, the reason you have Hunter Dozier capable of playing multiple positions, Hanser Alberto capable of playing multiple positions, you do this sort of thing so that you can keep somebody on your bench who's not a utility player, right? Who can be a better bat for you off the bench. And that's certainly what McBroom is. We saw him have a bunch of success pinch hitting last year. We'd love to see somebody who could, even if you're only destroying one side of the, of the you know, spectrum there, you're only hitting left-handed pitching. If you can do it really well, that's, that's valuable, right? If, if we know every time somebody rolls out a tough lefty, we can put Ryan McBroom at first base, or we can put Ryan McBroom in left field, uh, and rest Benintendi or something like that, then, you know, you're not going to have a great defensive outfield, but it doesn't matter if he's going to get you a bunch of hits and, and be, and be big offensively for you out there. And it certainly doesn't matter if you're pitching a strikeout guy, like, or a ground ball guy, like Brady Singer, Brad Keller, th- this is your rotation. You don't need an elite outfield all the time out there. And so it makes sense to me that McBroom, the Royals would be versatile enough in other positions to not need a high defensive versatility guy on their bench. Yeah. I think likely if he comes in uh, to give Benintendi a rest or even somebody in center, what you see is wit go to left. Solaire go into right. And then uh, McBroom, McBroom go to DH. Yeah. I think he's a DH first too. base guy. I mean, that's, that's just me. That makes um, sense. I think he's a better athlete than you give him credit for. I don't, I don't know how, I don't think he's a skilled outfielder by any stretch of the imagination. And, but I do think if you're, if you're th- talking, who's better Solaire or, uh, uh, or or uh, McBroom. McBroom in the outfield. <laughs> I don't think that's a tough, tough question. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that, that probably is more likely, but uh, I, I guarantee you that if McBroom makes the bench, if he's on the Royals bench all year, he's getting innings in left field yeah. at some point. Um, and to come back to our original kind of point, he's had a strong week. He's had a strong spring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's hitting the, he's hitting the ball. He's not walking and that's always a little scary and he never really has a lot, but he's crushing left-handed pitching like he always does. And think about that, what, what that could mean for, for a win total, right? He grabs you one or two wins in a season. That's huge, honestly. Like for one player to have that big of an important impact in, in pivotal moments, I think is, is an important thing. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with Ryan McBroom sort of winning that bench spot at this point. But anyway, uh, I want to talk about a different player who's, who's really hit the ball well this year uh, or so far this spring and really picked it up this week. And that's Hunter Dozier, right? He made, he got the big contract about a week ago. Um an extension for him gives him a little security, but he's not the youngest dude on earth, right? He's like 28, 29 um, already. And the Royals are really going to be leaning on him to have a good offensive season. They really, that extension was for 2019 Hunter Dozier, not for 2020 Hunter Dozier. And so I was good to see him pick it up and start hitting the ball with authority. The great thing about Dozier is he's a little bit like Santana in that you're always going to get the plate discipline, the patience, the walks. He was still getting a bunch of walks early in the spring, and now he's starting to hit the ball with authority. He hit one off the wall yesterday or day before uh, to clear the bases with the bases loaded. I just, I really like the approach. I like the fact that he's staying middle of the field, that he's driving the ball in gaps. I think that's going to be big for him. Yeah. There was a time in his minor league career when we were a little bit worried that the um, great eye that we saw from him in college wasn't translating, but it's good to see that since he's in 2019, especially, and uh, this spring, especially uh, that those walk numbers are up there and that he's uh, really being discerning with the pitches that he's swinging at. So 
Now, not everybody has really lit uh, lit this week on fire. Uh, mm-hmm. We're not going to talk about Nicky Lopez because I feel like we covered him last week, but he's also and, struggled. And the week before. And the week before. He, he is, <laughs> it's, it's really not good right now for him at the plate. Um, but we're not going to talk about him, as we just didn't. Um, we're going to talk about Jorge Soler instead. You, you've noticed he's been struggling a little bit at the plate. Yeah, uh, Jorge Soler, you, you hope that you can rely on him. Uh, had that big 2019, but he is, is striking out too much. I mean, he's just striking out too much. Uh, he, when he gets a hold of the ball, it's like what Jorge Soler does when he gets a hold of the ball. He's hitting it very hard, um, but he's just not making enough contact right now. Um, inside pitches, I've noticed a little bit. They're, they're really trying to come inside on him, uh, which, I mean, he's a power hitter, so that's what you want to kind of do is choke him up a little bit. Um, and he's just not getting around on it right now to uh, hit the ball uh, out, which is really what he does. So that's all I really need to see. You know, I, he's Jorge Soler. He's going to strike out, bring it down a little bit, hard contact through the middle. I've found when he struggled in the past, you'll start to see him hit the ball the other way in the gap more. So the right, the right field gap some. And that's kind of how he corrects himself. We'll see if he's able to do that. Uh, obviously, he's going to continue to get at bats and stuff because we really need him to produce uh, in the middle of the order. So I'd like to see him uh, pick it up a little bit from what he did this week. Yeah, I think, I think he maybe thing. only had one hit, <laughs> one hit or two hits uh, all week. He didn't play a lot this week, uh, but I think he, yeah, he just had the one hit. So, I think you're right about what what we see from him whenever he's struggling and then tries to correct himself. Uh, when he's struggling, it definitely looks like he's pressing, like he's trying to pull the ball, like he's swinging out of his shoes. Um, when he sort of takes pulls the throttle back just a bit and hits the ball, he still hits the ball plenty hard enough to get it out. Uh, and he's usually uh, willing to go to all fields in those moments. Um, so hopefully he can get back to that approach. He and Dozier are both sort of interesting illustrations of how, yes, the Royals lineup has quite a bit of potential, but it also has quite a bit of uncertainty, right? There's, you don't feel like a, a lot of the hitter, like Wit, you feel solid about Wit. You're like, okay, Wit's going to go out and hit 300. That's what he always does. You even feel okay about Perez because you're like we basically know what he is even if he doesn't have his season from last year you know if he goes out and hits 270 and walks five percent of the time and hits 20 25 home runs that's Perez's line but Solaire you could see him going a couple of different directions Santana you could see him going a wide swath of directions like he could you know be the solo uh, the uh, Santana of old he could hit 220 and with like 10 home runs all year, like you know that like being 35 with that body type, there's just t- too much uncertainty. There's a lot of uncertainty mm-hmm. uh, in this Royals lineup. So uh, yes, be optimistic for great 90 percentile outcomes, but protect your heart, Royals fans. Protect it just a little <laughs> bit from that uh, crushing uncertainty that could come with it. So uh, looking back, a final thing we'll say about this week, any sort of anything stand out to you that you want to focus on uh, a little um, bit? Yeah. When we talked about this in the last episode, that the bullpen was probably maybe the weakest part of this team, um, and they struggled this week. Uh, Brad Brock was not good, and that, that game, that game, nobody was good that game. We didn't, you know. Uh, sorry, the the game I'm referring to is the 13 to nothing beatdown that we received from uh, the Mariners. But um, we've had some guys show some some things that you know, Stalmont got knocked around some, um, Newberry got knocked around some. Brent's kind of came back to earth a little bit. We talked about him. He's still intriguing, I think, to both of us. Um, so the bullpen struggles have been. Now, I will say this. Uh, the two oldies, uh, Wade Davis and uh, Holland, have looked pretty good. Uh, I'm still not sold on Wade Davis. 
Um, but he's, I think, six innings and no runs allowed. Although if you look at the other numbers, there's some, I think he's allowed two walks and four hits in six innings and, and only two strikeouts. So there's some, you know, we need some more squ- of a sample size. Squishy numbers. Those guys have been drinking their insurer. They're, they're on top of it lately, <laughs> yeah. you know? And it's... then Holland's really good too. But uh, some of those other guys that we're going to count on in the bullpen, that's a great. Yeah, the thing that really concerned me this week, I mean, obviously Brock, Lovelady, Newberry, they had bad weeks. Brock, who I picked in our bullpen last week. Good job, me. <laughs> um, he uh, he just he had a terrible week. What he gave up five runs in that Mariners game. I think he gave up two yesterday. Um, it's been a rough one for Brad Brock. Lovelady did not look great in any of his outings this week. Newberry got hit around. It's the Stamont thing that concerns me, right? Because Stamont, and it's not because he didn't pitch well. He's coming off COVID. He very was very open about the fact that he's lost strength. He lost weight. That's tough for him. He's a guy who throws 99, and that is the biggest part of his game, right? Like we need him to be 100% when the season starts, right? Um, but that's got to be tough, right? Like you're, when you're coming off an illness like that, you don't know how long it's going to linger. We know guys like Dozier and stuff struggled a lot last year trying to get back from COVID, trying to get their energy back. Um, that's the one that really concerns me. When they said he was out for the beginning of camp, but it, they didn't have a reason. I was like, did he get COVID? That'd be bad. <laughs> um, and then it came out, yep, he got COVID. Um, and so I worry about him. I'm not too worried about the Brock Love Lady Newberry thing because you're not counting on them so much, right? Like you want Stamont to be a high leverage reliever for you. Brock Love Lady Newberry, they're not high leverage guys. Newberry won't, won't even start in the majors. Um, and so I could see Love Lady getting some high leverage spots against lefties. Against lefties, uh, maybe, yeah. but. I don't even know that they trust him that much. I don't even know that he's going to make the bullpen, right? Like um, he just hasn't pitched very well. He hasn't pitched very well. And they're fine with that, right? Like I think they're fine with that. But if they do take him, I don't think he's going to be your high leverage guy. I think maybe a situational lefty high leverage moment sometimes. But I think for the most part, when they want to trust somebody, they're bringing in Greg Holland. They're bringing in Scott Barlow. They're maybe even bringing in Wade Davis. But the guy they would really be bringing in is Josh Stamon. But if he's – if he's only throwing it up there 95, his game has totally changed, right? Like, um, and so hopefully he can ramp back up and, and feel better uh, soon. Uh, feel better, Joshy. We're, we're going to send you some soup or something. Um, yeah. But let's go ahead and transition. We'll uh, take a quick break and then we'll talk a little bit about um, the Royals offensive newcomers. If you like what you're hearing so far, or even if you don't, please, please, please take the time to subscribe and give us a five-star rating and review. It helps others find the show, and it helps us build a better Royals community. If you leave a good rating and review, we will make sure to give you a shout-out on an episode of Royals Weekly, and perhaps read a small snippet of your review. Also, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, at Royals Weekly, where we live-tweet, select games, and offer additional insight into the fight in Kansas City Royals. This week, we shine the spotlight on some of the newest players in Royal Blue. We're looking at the offensive newcomers. The Royals' offense was not great last season. They were 26th in the league in runs per game at 4.13, 27th in on-base percentage at 309. Trouble scoring runs, let's just say that. Uh, let's start. We're going to look at uh, the new players that the Royals brought in. We're going to talk a little bit about what we've seen so far and what we're hoping for from for them in the upcoming season. We're going to start with Andrew Benintendi, who I see as, as the jewel of offseason acquisitions for the Royals. Yeah. We, uh, what have you seen so far that you like or don't like from from, from Benintendi? So uh, the things I like, he's walking, and that was the that was the um, thing that brought him to prominence in the 2017 2018 seasons. Uh, he is not hitting. 
necessarily. But I think with a player like Benintendi, especially since he's kind of revising his game, you know, he made the change to try and hit for more power. Now he's kind of trying to go back. I think patience is going to be the key. And I think that the fact that he's walking is kind of the sign that the hits will come. Um, especially when you start to get to a ballpark like Kaufman, that's bigger. So I'm not super worried about him. I want to see him keep walking. And I think eventually he'll, he will hit. He does four of his five hits are doubles. So that's a good thing to see, but he's got to continue to walk. And let's hope that he doesn't get scared by some of the numbers of the fact that he's not hitting right away. Yeah. I think that's, that's a key insight. I think that there's a chance, a good chance he won't hit right away. There's a good chance that he's still trying to find himself offensively. Uh, find that offensive identity. And uh, I, I agree with you for the most part. I'm not terribly worried about him. I think some of our expectations are a little too high. If we're expecting him to sort of immediately go back to 2018, Andrew Benintendi, I think that's a little bit unrealistic. Um, but I think he could be solid this year. I think right now his, sla- he's sl- his slash line for spring training is a uh, 208 batting average, a 321 on base and a 375 slugging. Um that's not great. Obviously we would hate that if that were what, what he were doing for the entire season, but I'm with you. I think this sort of walks um, foreshadow a, a patience to the plate, having good at bats. That's what I'm seeing in the games that I'm seeing him in. The at bats are still good. It's not like he's up there flailing. It's not like he's pressing. Uh, it seems like he's very much willing to sort of move back to the game that got made him successful uh, early in his career. And if he does that, I think eventually the hits will come. Uh, I do worry a little bit about ballpark. People are talking about the Royals, like, like, or Kaufman, like it's going to be a hitter's haven for him. I don't know that that's true. If you look at a lot of the um, spray charts and things like that, about where his doubles came from when he was playing in Fenway, a lot of them hit off the green monster, right? Like he was the type of hitter who went the other way in the air and that ball got off the green monster and he got a double or triple out of it. There's no green monster at Kaufman, right? That fence is just 30 or 40 feet deeper and yeah. the ball is not going to hit off, off of anything. It's either going to leave the park. Maybe it'll get over somebody's head or it's going to get caught. So I'm just not, uh, yes, the gaps and the space will be good for the type of hitter he is, but I think we're underestimating the degree to which Fenway helped him as a hitter too. Right. Yeah, and so um, he could lose 10 to 15 hits because he's not banking them off a wall. That's 300 feet away or 290 yeah, feet away. Or that somebody could throw a ball off of home <laughs> plate. Right. Like, um, and so, yeah, we'll see on that one. Um, but I, you always trust guys who have good at bats, who have the patience to take some walks because patience rarely slumps. So um, hopefully he can keep that going. And I think eventually the hits will come. Yeah. Another guy, one I think we're both a little more concerned about uh, is Carlos Santana. Uh, both of these guys were brought in as like we're going to rely on them heavily they're they're supposed to be linchpins of the lineup people are saying benintendi will hit second people think hernandez will hit third or fourth right like we'll see but either way you're counting on both of these guys to be a big part of your run production so far in spring santana's hitting 235 as a batting average 333 as an on base and 441 slugging um and that's really ramped up in the last week or so. He um, he started to hit the ball a little bit, but um, I know you have concerns if he'll keep doing that. Yeah, it, it, I I do have concerns. Uh, and you mentioned it earlier with the kind of the the advanced age that he's at and the body type that he is. He's not Prince Fielder, but you know he's no. he's not a not slim or you know. Um, but he's walking. Is how I would describe him actually. A little burly, yeah. Huh? <laughs> um, 
and, and, and there's kind of been this thing where it's like, everybody's like, well, he's doing what he's supposed to, like he's walking. Is that what he's supposed to do? Is that why the Royals signed a first baseman uh, is to walk all the time? No, he's, he plays a defensive position where there isn't much defensive value. He needs to drive the ball. Um, and he's not doing that. He's got three extra base hits this spring, uh, which kind of is, is a continuation of how he did last year as well. Um, and I know it was a shortened season, but I mean, he's, he's getting up there in age. So, um, it does scare me a little bit. I need to see him drive the ball more. I love the walks. He's always going to walk a lot. Um, that's great, but he need, we need him to be in a place to drive the ball. He's not going to be our leadoff guy. He's not going to be uh, even, you know, in a position where you're like, okay, hit him too. So that Soler and Perez can drive him in. No, he's got to be a part of that. Um, and, and I haven't seen it so far. So. Right. And that's the big difference really between someone like a Santana and a Benintendi, right? You, you get Benintendi knowing that he's going to walk a lot, knowing that he's going to play good defense in left field, knowing that left field, while not like in a really important defensive position is maybe slightly more important than on first base. The problem is your first baseman prof- is supposed to profile as this middle of the order hitter who's going to be a big part of your offensive production. And Santana taking walks is good. It will help the Royals on base percentage, but Santana taking a walk is not the same as Benintendi taking a walk, right? Like Santana has no value on the base paths, right? He has negative value on the base paths. Probably he's not fast. And so really you're saying we're comfortable with him being a a singles hitter who hits, you know, over 300, basically, if you want to sort of think about it in those terms, like if, if, if you turn all of his walks into singles, would we be comfortable with that, right? Like we'd be more comfortable with it than, you know, if he didn't hit and didn't walk, but really you want somebody in his position to, if they're going to hit 250 and they're going to have, you know, a bunch of walks, then you want their other hits to be extra base hits. Kaufman does not profile as a good ballpark for him because it's a gaps ballpark. And when he puts one in the gap, there's a chance he doesn't turn it into a double, right? And there's a really good chance he doesn't turn it into a triple. And so, you know, it's going to be difficult for him to get the ball out of Kaufman on a consistent basis. Um, And what I'm seeing in spring training, the ball coming off his bat does not look impressive like it used to, right? Does not look like he, it looks like he's, his bat has slowed down a little bit and it looks like he's not getting the kind of power off of it that we would expect from a Carlos Santana, right? I hope that that's not the case. I hope it's a timing issue and he's like, just not, not barreling it up as frequently, but his bat definitely does not look as fast as it used to. And I worry a little bit that this was always the risk that you ran signing a 35 year old first baseman with his body type, right? That 2020 wasn't an aberration, that it was the beginning of his decline, right? Really? Um, 2019 was, you know, kind of the beginning. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've seen him have seasons where you're like, well, is, is this it? Like, is, is he done like for, for his super productive years? Um, I hope that's not the case. I think because you're going to still get the walks, you're, a little, you're hedged a little bit against the huge downturn, but we don't want him coming out like his line right now. I don't think will be enough. Um, yeah. He's hitting, like I said, 235, 333, 441. You don't want that. You want your first baseman with an OPS over 800. Um, and that's, because, that's a very similar line to what he had for all of last year. Um, yeah, you, you, you just it, that's not going to play really. They need him to be over 800 OPS 
putting together really, uh, really good at bats and driving the ball. But you know who's doing that right now instead of Carlos Santana? The one everybody expected to kill the ball during spring training, Michael A. Taylor. The, Not you. Uh, the Not MVP you. MVP candidate. Mike, he will be MVP of the Cactus League. I think I said <laughs> that on our first episode. On our first episode, I was like, Michael A. Taylor, put him in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> you were bashing. Uh, you look like a fool. A spring, I did look like a spring training. Fool I look like that. a spring training fool. I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting to be. Uh, I'm waiting to be vindicated by the regular season. Yes, Michael A. Taylor is crushing the ball. Another signing. They got him super cheap. I think he was like $1.75 million this offseason on a one-year deal. And the reason you get somebody super cheap is because they're not very good. And so Michael A. Taylor never put it together. And people were like, well, he's 29 now. Is he going to put it together at his age 29 season? Probably not. Or age 30 season, which is this year. And so the Royals signed him for $1.75 million, and he has been just straight nails during the spring training. I mean, he's been their best hitter statistically, I think, at this point. Yeah. Um, he just barely surpassed Nick Prado over this last week. Um, and so right now in spring training, to give you a sense, his slash line is 435 batting average, 536 on base percentage. 913 slugging. That's not his OPS. That's his slugging. He's got like a 1400 OPS right now. Um, that's insane. Uh, will it carry over into the regular season? We don't know. But it, uh, it, what do you think? It's hard for me to imagine that it will, especially since right now he is, he's got an OBP that's 100 points higher than his batting average. And that has never been his game. He has never been a guy that walked a lot. I don't expect that to carry over into the regular season. And you made a, a good point last week or two weeks ago that a lot of the pitching that he was facing was lower level pitching. Um, but boy, if he can, if he can just, if he has made a change or something that, I mean, he, he really is barreling up the ball and driving the hell out of it from the right side. And if he can do that and just be that guy that's, you know, 285 even, and, and somewhere in that 330, you know, he's not going to, He's not going to go 100 points higher than his batting average. But 330 to 340, that's a lot of value that can then probably likely be traded is, is the, the thing. If you can do that, you might be able to get a reliable bullpen arm for Michael A. Taylor. That's um, exactly what I was thinking. And that's really, I think, the ceiling. You're not going to go out and get somebody's top prospect. You're not going to get anything like that. Um, but not on, not on half of a season of production. Um, or but, half a uh, season left. He's only got... He's a That's one-year true, deal, yeah, so you're deal. getting him for but a few months. To, if you're sending him to a contender that really needs somebody to play center field and he's hitting, you might be able to get a reliable bullpen piece back, maybe and maybe a minor league bullpen piece. So you're like, hey, okay, this kid can actually uh, be something. But um, I don't expect him to continue doing this. But, boy, it would be great if he does. Yeah, I think I'm still skeptical. Um, he's had good springs in the past. Uh and uh, like I said before, his the level of opposition so far, his opposition rating from uh, Baseball Reference is was really low a, a couple weeks ago. It's it's gone up since then. It's close to eight now, which is basically like a Triple A pitcher. Um, so it's gotten a little bit better, and he continues to hit. The thing that's impressed me as I've watched him is his swing. He looks like he has more plate coverage, like he has more barrel control it's it's not he's not missing these balls inside the strike zone because he can't get to them or anything like that um so yeah he's really barreling balls up and putting them in play really hard 
Uh, you look at his strikeout rate, he is still striking out frequently, and that was a big problem last season. He had a 30% strikeout rate last year. That's way too high. Um, it's still like it's 25% or so for the spring. Of course, that's a small sample size. But if he can stay in the 20 to 25 range once he gets into the regular season, that's a big win for him because putting more balls in play, that's going to make his profile get a lot better. That's going to make his batting average go up immediately. Um, especially as hard as he hits the ball because he does have quite a, some pop in his bat. So I'm still skeptical, but I'm a little less skeptical than I was before. And like you, I, I'm just looking for him to be in the, I'm not even looking for 280. Like if he can give us 270, I'll take that. That's yeah. good enough for me. And then you're talking about a guy who with, with wheels, who's at the bottom of your lineup, who can be on base for a guy like Whit Merrifield, who as a leadoff hitter can probably be more of a production kind of guy too. You know, we love the fact that he gets on base and he hits the ball, but he can drive and runs then instead of what it's been for the last couple of years, which is every time he gets up, there ain't anybody on. <laughs> no. Yeah. And, and when, and we mentioned it two weeks ago, like the eight, nine spots in this lineup are the most important ones at this point. Right. Because if they're not completely, if they're not automatic outs down there, the Royals have a good chance of, of producing runs this year because Whitmerryfield can hit those, can knock them in. Now, Taylor's not a he's he's got some speed but he's not a base stealer he's like I don't know what it is but he is a terrible pitch terrible at reading pitchers because he is a bad base stealer um, but the speed will play on the base path so when Merrifield puts the ball in a gap he can go first to home on a double you know he can go uh, second to home on a single almost automatically and so that speed will help produce some runs in in that regard so if you're talking a guy hitting 270 if he keeps walking a little bit, 320 on base, and then he'll have a hefty slugging because he does have some power, you can be talking about a 750 and above OPS range and then mm -hmm. an above average defense, hopefully. That'll play long enough. Yeah. And then if the Royals aren't contending, they'll probably try and move him at the deadline uh, yeah. and, and give Kyle Isbell his chance. So uh, been happy been happy with him so far this year. Uh, we have one yeah. more guy to discuss. Um the sort of a, the enigma of Hanser Alberto, the uh, player few are talking about, but who is interesting and fun to watch. I just yeah. like watching him play because he never wants to walk. And he's like, even though he's taking some walks this spring, but he just like slaps them all over the field and makes stuff happen. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I heard the other day on the broadcast, they were playing or comparing him to Jose Ramirez for the Indians. And I was like, Whoa, 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 pump the brakes there. You know, uh, <laughs> He, they, they kind of have the same body type and they, you know, Maybe. Uh, Ramirez was kind of a utility guy early on who had this massive explosion uh, one year. Um, Alberto, I don't think is that, but with the situation right now at second base, he's also a guy who may end up playing a heck of a lot more than we really expected him to. Um, his numbers in the seasons when he's played a lot have been pretty good. Uh, obviously, like you said, he's not a guy that's going to walk much, but this is the bottom of uh, we're talking about. So if Lopez isn't doing what you need him to, he, Hanser Alberto may end up playing a lot at second base. And I, I prefer him a lot at second than I do to third. Um, I'm not in love with him at third base, but uh, I think he's good enough to play second base and give you uh, a better opportunity to get hits than, than what you might get in Lopez. Yeah. I think, uh, I think they're going to want him out there against lefties, no matter what. Like I think, especially early on, you're going to see heavy rotation. I think it would not surprise me if they 
pretty much lost faith in Lopez and are kind of just waiting for the next thing to come. Bobby Witt Jr. probably. I don't think anybody imagines that Nicky Lopez is going to be the long-term solution at second base anymore. Um, and so I think if that's the case and you actually want to compete some this year, go ahead and play Hanser Alberto, either start him, which is probably better at this point, or make sure he's getting heavy rotation against lefties, right? Like, because we know he crushes left-handed pitching. That's his thing, right? Uh, if, if I'm Mike Matheny, Hansel Alberto starts against every single lefty um, because I, I don't have the faith in Lopez to continue to, or to, to turn it around offensively. He's just, um, he's had quite a few at-bats in the majors at this point. He's had a bunch of spring training at-bats at this point, and he looks completely lost. So, you know, I think it might even be better for him to go back down to AAA and start um, at some point this year. Like if, 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 if Lopez is struggling mightily and Bobby Witt Jr. looks ready come midseason, I wouldn't hate to see Lopez down in AAA and Bobby Witt Jr. in the majors and let Lopez gain some confidence back, let him sort of refine his game and move up and be ready to be a utility infielder who can, you know, have better at bats than he's been having. Yeah, and I don't want to harp too much on, on Nicky Lopez because we've talked so much about him in the past, but I think utility is going to be a tough position for him because I don't love his value at shortstop. And if you're not going to be a guy who can hit a lot, he kind of has to be able to play shortstop. And I know he can play shortstop, but I don't really love him there. So I think yeah. he'd be fine, like a serviceable shortstop, serviceable third baseman, excellent second baseman. Yeah. Maybe that'll yeah, do. I get the excellent second baseman. I just don't like him at short. Yeah. Um, it's real. It's, it's looking real dark for him, but who knows? You never know. Maybe the season starts, he starts slapping the ball over the place. And this is base. This is baseball. We're talking about here. It's, right. it's, it's weird. Okay. Now we'll take a look ahead at next week's slate of games. The Royals face the Rockies, Padres, Angels, D-backs, Rangers, and Brewers next week. As we sort of get into the segment of games, that's really about getting regulars more innings, more playing time. Pitchers get up into the four or five, six inning range um, as they start. And then uh, players will be playing more like seven, eight, nine inning games in this week. Um, we're what, like 10, 11 days from opening day. Uh, what are you hoping to see from the Royals this week, Mike? Uh, I think what I'm really looking forward to is we know there's a lot of certainties kind of about the team already, um, at least to start the year. And so I'm looking for some of those little uncertainties, second base, but really what about the bench players? Okay. Is Gerard Dyson, we think he's probably going to, as a lock at that fourth outfield position, how does he play? How does Hanser Alberto play versus maybe how does Nicky Lopez play? How does some of those other options, Ryan McBroom, is he going to continue to hit the ball so that we can have a spot for him on the bench? Um, so that's really what I'm looking for. Uh, how do those guys who are going to be bench players how are they playing? Is there a chance that maybe one of them, like in Hanser Alberto, um, gets a, more at-bats in a regular season? Or Ryan McBroom, I don't see Dyson taking a lot of at-bats from that outfield. Um, but does a Kyle Isbell say, hey, I've put myself in a place where it's going to be hard to pick Gerard Dyson or stick with Gerard Dyson and over the entire season if I'm killing it? I don't think at any point in the season will they ever have him not be a starter at any level he's at. Right? Like, oh, you think, they're okay, never, they're never going to bring no, him up to put him no. on the bench? I can see that. No, yeah, why, you would want they, him why would they do that? Right? Yeah. Like, why would they do that? Like, um, no, they're going to – now, what, what he's probably put doing over the course of this last week is solidifying the notion that he's ready to come up when they trade Michael A. Taylor, when a spot – somebody gets hurt, right? Like, uh, I think he's positioned himself to be 
the next guy in line, the next position player to come up, uh, unless somebody gets hurt at catcher or something like that, or a position he doesn't play. Any injury in the outfield, any underperformance from guys like Taylor, um, I think you'll start to see him being positioned to to be brought up into the majors. Yeah, I don't I don't think he's gonna I don't think they're gonna bring him up to sit him on the bench. My thought is because of his versatility, if underperforming or trade or injury or whatever, he comes up and now he's in that outfield rotation. Cause I don't think he's gonna be a guy you're like, oh, you're now in left field and you always gonna play left field and you're our left fielder now. No, um, the Royals are big on everyday at bats for prospects. They don't yeah. they don't bring guys up to rotate. They don't bring guys up to you're gonna play every day if you're a prospect or and whatever level you can do that at, that's the level they're going to put you at. And so um, I just have no, I don't think that he's, I don't think what he does in this last week will matter to the rotation. It'll sort of set their mind to whether or not he's ready to come up um, when there is a spot for him to play every day. Uh, uh, And I think he's basically solidified that now it's all about, will he hit once the triple A season starts? Um, And so I'm going to be paying more attention to bullpen arms again, because they look so bad this week. Like um, what does Brad Brock do? He's, you know, does he bounce back? Does Wade Davis continue to get outs? Um, what does Josh Stamont do as he starts to build up his strength? Is, can he sort of build up that fastball and become, uh, get back to full strength? I think that's super important uh, to where they're going to be. Uh, and then I want to see Junis more too. Uh, and I'm not, I don't know if we count him as a bullpen arm or as a starting arm. That's not, that's still up in the air, but um it's going to be important that he's uh, that he's ready to go because so he can be a valuable uh, piece of the team anyway, regardless of where he ends up. I'm thinking he's going to end up throwing 100, 100, 120 innings this year, and those need to be valuable quality innings. So, um, I think bullpen arms at the end of this is the hardest thing to evaluate at the end of spring training. You just don't get enough opportunities to see the guys. Even now, I mean, Davis has thrown six innings. You know, yeah. how do you, how do you, do, how do you make a decision on, on something like that? And it's only going to get less as starters start to stretch out further, you know? So um, really tough to, to evaluate those bullpen arms in a, in a, any spring training. Um, and it gets harder as spring training goes on. Well, this is why teams so frequently, especially with bullpen arms, they don't even care what takes place in spring training, right? Like yeah. people mention people are talking about Brock because he had a bad week um, and I, and I agree, we need to think about that. Maybe, maybe he is on the outside looking in at this point, cause they have so many bullpen arms, but I don't think the Royals care too much that he gave up runs in, in that setting, right? Because he's got such a long track record, right? This is also why you see teams frequently going with the veteran guys who've done it before and using those options to send other guys down, right? It's like, yeah, we are all more excited about Kyle Zimmer because he throws so hard and because he was a top prospect and all these sorts of things. And it's like, but he's got an option, right? Like, yes, we are excited about Tyler Zuber, but he has options, right? Like um, this is why they go with guys with track record because they don't trust spring training when you only get six outings, right? Like, um, and so I think there's a good chance that this bullpen looks pretty veteran whenever uh, opening day comes around. I think you're going to see guys like Wade Davis, Jesse Hahn, Greg Holland, you know, uh, Scott Barlow. Yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be where it's at, I think, especially now that your boy Zuber already got sent down. Yeah. Okay, we're in our into our just a bit outside segment. Uh, this is where we talk about something that interests us outside of base, the baseball world this week. Mike, uh, what's fascinated you about uh, the world outside of baseball? Well, in a sense, you could say it's the opposite of what has fascinated everybody else. Um, I, I had you put on our little rundown, March sadness, okay? 
Uh, I am not a basketball person. Okay. It's a fine sport. takes phenomenal athleticism, you know, to do it. I have tremendous respect for all the college basketball players who are participating in March madness this week. I just don't care. I don't fill out a bracket. I don't care about your bracket. I did watch the Mizzou game last night, which was, you know, traditionally depressing. You know, we held up that tradition. Um, But I don't really, you know, it's the third Mizzou game I think I've seen this year. And that's really the only college basketball I will watch is Missouri college basketball because I'm a Mizzou fan. Um, But yeah, I'm not into the March Madness thing. Now, I will say this. There's one thing that will get me into March Madness, and I think you know what it is take me to Vegas for it. <laughs> you know, uh, it is, I've Mark and I have been fortunate enough to be in uh, Vegas during uh, the opening weekend of March madness. And it was a heck of a time. I highly recommend all of you to go do it. Um, I got killed. That's where you make the money. That's where you make uh, as our friend, uh, Mickey Vest, shout out to Mickey Vest, Maryville Mo. Um, but he says, that's how you make the money when I referring to gambling. So, uh, yes. uh, yeah, yes. I did not make uh, the money that time, but it was a good time. And that's, I would do that, but I'm not a March madness guy. So I have, this is the kind of opposite of what's interested me. Uh, it hasn't been March madness. Yeah. I, uh, if I, if you recall that weekend was the yeah, first weekend of March madness and St. Patrick's day all in the same weekend. Yeah. And so Vegas was insane, right? Yeah. Like the, you couldn't move on the strip. It was like wild. And so that was a great time. I highly recommend. And Mizzou lost to Norfolk state that weekend. It was the only bet I won. That was Newfork. That was Newfork. I wouldn't, I think I, I, I I had them to cover. Right. And I'm pretty sure I had Norfolk state to cover. Yeah. Yeah. Norfolk. I'm pretty sure that game hit me my three game parlay and I ended up paying for my trip with Mizzou's loss. (laughs) Yeah. So I think all Mizzou fans knew. Mizzou is not going to, it was a 23 and a half point spread. I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, and uh, every Mizzou fan knows, oh, Mizzou's going to win. They're not going to beat them by 24. And they lost the game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a weird table to be at because we had a line of guys who were either really happy because they were KU fans, who were despondent because they were MU fans, or who were stoked that they just made some money. Right. And so, <laughs> You know, I was, I was both sad because Mizzou lost and happy because I made a bunch of money. Um, and so, yeah, I, very good weekend. I highly recommend going experiencing March Madness in a place like Vegas. Um, my uh, just about outside for this week is uh, James Acasta. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great impression. You, you know, it's a great I know, impression. right? I, I've seen him so many times. Uh, so if you don't know who James Acaster is, he is a stand-up comedian. And in my opinion, the best stand-up comedian in the world right now. Um, he's British. He has a special on Netflix. It's like a four episode special That's called awesome. Repertoire. And it is amazing. But last night I actually watched his newest special, which is called Cold Lasagna, Hate Myself, 1999. And <laughs> I was just, I was up until midnight, just laughing so hard. Uh, I was in bed with my girlfriend and my, our dog was in, in the bed too. Our dog got so pissed. We were laughing so much. She was trying to sleep. She got out of bed and just went onto the ground, right? Like that's how, that's how hard we were laughing during this whole, uh, this whole two hour stand-up special where he tells stories about like shitting himself in a steakhouse about how a therapist of his became way a little stalkery a little like very weird you know it's just it, the show's mostly about like mental health and the hardest year of his life and it's really sort of introspective and brilliant but so 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 funny uh you've never seen a comedian just be 
off the wall, crazy funny, like this guy. So if you're into sort of a comedy that is a little bit left of center, and I don't mean politically, well, though he is left of center politically, um, I mean like a little off the wall, a little out there. Um, he's a great, great comedian. You should give him a watch. Um, I endorse yeah, him as well. He's, he's very funny. Yeah. Uh, that's all we have this week of Royals Weekly. Uh, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. We will uh, be back again next week with uh, more Royals talk and hopefully look ahead to the to opening day. Right. Bye-bye.